get into God's word this morning. If you would stand for the reading of God's word, if you're able. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. And he was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of man. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Let's pray. Spirit of the living God, I pray that you would attend the proclamation of your word. For the glory of your name and for the edification of your church. Be with us in this moment. Transform us. May we not leave the same way we came. In Christ's name I pray and everybody say Maybe seated at this time. Uh, this morning, we will mainly focus on verses four through five. I've included verses one through three here in the beginning so we may see the depths in which our focus verses are rooted in. Verses four through five are rooted in unbelievable depth. The incomprehensible reality of God's eternality. Depths that kept the early church swimming for centuries, yet never reaching the bottom. In the first three verses, we see the answer to the question, where did God come from? This is a question we all have asked. Have you ever took a long walk on the cool, sandy beach and looked out on the massive body of water and asked, where did God come from? Have you ever laid on plush green grass and stared up at the starry host and say, where did God come from? Has your child ever ran into your lap and asked, mommy, daddy, where did God come from? The correct answer to this question is God didn't come from anywhere. He just simply was and has always been. You see, church, John opens his gospel with the phrase, in the beginning was the word. And this phrase echoes the opening phrases of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And out of nothingness, God created everything. John will soon identify the word as being Jesus. As we see down in verse 14, as we continue to read through the book of John, John talks about the word becoming flesh. He is the creator of all things, God, eternal. That's what it means to be God. John doesn't waste any time to identify who Christ is. He wants our hearts to be in awe. Because church, this is a mind-boggling reality. As humans, it is, it is hard for us to fathom someone having no beginning. Everything we see, touch, taste, feel, smell can be traced back to a beginning. From the beautiful green trees to the incredible, incredible radiant sun. Nothing made God. God made everything. We see this in verse 3 because John says, All things were made through him, and without him 
was not anything made that was made. There was none before him. God has always existed eternally as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You see, church, there is nothing more breathtaking, nothing that sweeps the soul off of its spiritual feet that God has no beginning. He is eternal. And this God, church, is your God. And my hope is that you would root your life in these unsearchable depths found in these verses, in a world of uncertainty and evil. We need something sure, something true, something unmovable. And if we pay any attention to the world today, we quickly begin to realize that our world is broken. We feel this brokenness in our own hearts. We live in a world of hate and selfish ambition. We live in a country that continues to openly confess his hatred for the Lord. We live in a city where people are lost. And the fact of the matter is, darkness seems to engulf us from every side. And it is easy for us to recall recent events. 49 dead and the mass shooting in Orlando. The increase of racial divide in our country the loss of loved ones, fatherless homes, and the daily wrestle of our own sin. And I could go on. However, like dreaded memories of childhood nightmares, these events remain blurring and fading in the distant memory of time and yet weighing heavy on our souls. The reality is our world, our country, our city is in need of life and hope. And what better hope, church, than the preeminent Christ, the one who was before all things? Who else can do a better job? Who else can rescue us? No one else but Christ alone. Yes, church. In the deepest possible pain, Christ is enough. In this dark world, we must lift up Jesus. The only one who speaks, spoke into the darkness in Genesis still speaks today. And we must lift him higher than anything else. And I believe this is why John in his gospel starts with a high view of who Christ is. John points us immediately to Christ as being our life. And hope. And it is my effort this morning to follow in the footsteps of John, to lift Christ high. I want to do this by calling your attention to three things this verse points out about Christ Christ is life, Christ is light, and Christ is triumphant. Scripture shows these three things as in unbreakable chain and therefore offering us unbreakable hope. Our verse reads, in him was life, and the life was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The first thing, church, that we need to understand this morning, we need to remind ourselves about our writer. We need to get acquainted with who John is. 
John is a disciple of Jesus Christ. He walked with Jesus for three years. So John is not passing on secondhand info. He didn't hear it from his best friend. He didn't hear it through the grapevine. He didn't get it via email. Instead, John was an eyewitness of all that he is writing, all that he is conveying to us this morning. John did life with Jesus. He ate with Jesus. He talked with Jesus. He walked with Jesus. John was well acquainted with our Lord. And we see the life-changing impact of Jesus on his life as we read the Gospels. And John desires for Christ, through his Gospel, to have the same impact on all of us. Well, how do I know this? John states this at the end of his Gospel. And in chapter 20, verse 31, he says, But these are written, so you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. In that by believing, you may have life in his name. Well, it is very clear, my friends, John wants us to have life. Which brings us to our first point, Christ is life. The first thing we observe in this text is the greatest being in the entire universe is alive. In him was life. God is life. God is not dead, church. But he is living. Life is all that God is, his character, his nature, his very essence. He is not like man-made, handcrafted idols that cannot hear or speak because they are dead. God is a living being. One preacher puts it this way. And one of the things, God is life. He is alive. He is a living person. Not a human person but a divine person, alive, doing something, like thinking and feeling for all eternity, as far back as you can go in eternity, forever and ever and ever, there is one changeless reality, life, divine, personal life, ultimate reality, absolute reality, original reality is alive, in him was life. In other words, life existed. Because he existed. God is self-existent. God doesn't depend on anyone or anything for life. He himself is life and gives life to everyone. The reason why we were able to come to church this morning, the reason why you were able to get into your car this morning, the reason why you were able to stand and to sing is because God is alive. That's why, church. We see this in Acts 17, 28. It says, in him we live, move, and have our being. You see, our very breath is dependent on him. We have no true life or growth apart from him. This is why after sin had separated us from him, we were in need of of a savior, were we not? We were dead and we needed life, spiritual life. And the life was, was in him. And therefore, we needed him. And the moment we were reconciled to him, we came alive. In fact, our entire life began to look like life. Do you remember, church, when you were connected to Christ, how your marriage began to grow, how your friendships began to grow, how love began to grow, how patience began to grow, how worship began to grow because you were connected to the self-sustaining Christ. And why? 
because you figured out how to get your life together? No. It is because you were connected to the self-sustaining Christ. Like a branch attached to the vine, we couldn't help but grow. And the life in him, the life in him is so strong, it will never, ever, ever run dry. Ever. Christ is full of life and there is enough for everyone. Surely the one who created mountains and crowns them with snow in the winter is plentiful in life. And surely the one who created the ocean and causes the sun to kiss the waves with his sunbeams is plentiful in life. And surely the one who created every atom and molecule is plentiful in life. And surely you have not known life until you have known Christ. When life is in you, Death isn't a problem. So we see this in the book of John as Jesus is faced with the uh, challenge of his friend Lazarus being dead. And he walks up to the tomb and said, Lazarus, come forth. Death is not an issue for him at all. He said without a doubt in his mind, I am the resurrection. Colossians puts it this way. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. It is when we understand that Christ alone gives life that we are awakened to the reality that all other things do not, when in fact they are draining us and vice versa. What we naturally chase after church exposes our spiritual deadness. When we look to our husbands and wives for life, we kill marriages. And when we look to TV for life, we are slowly being put to death by entertainment. And when we look to arts and crafts for, for life, we, we get so consumed with our own creativity that we forget the creator. And when we look to our cars and our money and our houses for life, they lead to death. But let me be clear. These are good things to be enjoyed. It is when we look to them for life that we deceive ourselves. Life is in him. Anything else is a dead end. All of our hate, selfishness, lust is proof we are dead. And hear me on this. All of these voices beckon out to us. Come to me. I will give you life. Food says, come to me. I will give you life. I will give you life. Self says, come to me. I will give you life. I will give you life. Hollering and scratching and clawing and screaming at the door of our souls for our affection. However, there is only one voice that is true. And he says, come to me, all who labor in heavy laden and burden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest. You will find rest for your souls. 
For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you hear that, church? There is nothing a human can do in their own power to make themselves spiritually alive. There is no power in a dead person. We must, we must, we must look to Jesus for life. John hammers away at this in his gospel. Amen. Give God praise. We see in John 17, 3, he says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And we also see in John 5, 38 through 40, he says, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe in the one he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have what? Life. The bottom line is we need spiritual life. And it is only in Jesus. No negotiation. I love the way... John Piper articulates this. He says, so I think it is clear that when John says in John 1, 4, in him was life, he means spiritual life, eternal life, life that saves from judgment. If you have the son, if you have Jesus, if he is in you, you are in him. Life is in you and you are in life. You have life forever. Vital union with Jesus is everything. Let's keep going. And John then says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. We see now John is bringing in something else. He, he talked about life, and now he's talking about light. And, and so the question becomes, what does he mean the life was the light of man? How is the life of Christ light to man? And what is the connection between life and light? Which brings us to our next point. Not only is Jesus life, but Jesus is also light. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. Let's do a little bit of a reviewing here to make sure that we're still on the same page here. Because so far we understand that in Jesus is spiritual life, and humans are spiritually dead. And when we live for the things of the world, we prove we are spiritually dead. John now brings in the analogy of light to contrast with darkness. Jesus is the light. So when John says... Light, he's talking about Jesus. Jesus is the opposite of that which is dark. All that God is in his character, being in his life, is light. Nothing is more different than light and darkness, friends. Nothing contrasts more than light and darkness. If you turn a flashlight on in a dark room, it is easy to identify that small light in such a dark room. Darkness is the absence of light. Jesus is the opposite of darkness. Therefore, whatever is true, just, good, and righteous can be summed up in one word, one person, Jesus. Church, do we not know this? Do you remember the revelation of his light when it landed on your soul? How your heart cried out. How beautiful he was. How sweet he was. How kind he was. How good he was. How amazing he was. How patient he was towards you who believe. Do you remember, church? 
you have yet to meet anyone that compares to the goodness and the righteousness of the Son of God. And this morning, church, our hearts testify to the light. Jesus was the light of men. This means Jesus is the means by which we find our way out of darkness. I'm going to say that again. Jesus was the light of men. This means Jesus is the means by which we find our way out of darkness. It is him, nothing else. By him we find our way out of darkness. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way to life because he is life. And if you want to be delivered from darkness, trust, believe, embrace, follow Jesus. Brothers and sisters, there is no other way. What sin are you wrestling with this morning, saint? Look to Jesus. What are you going through? Look to Jesus. What has captured you? Look to Jesus. Are you looking for purpose and meaning? Look to Jesus. Now I do understand that it is not easy to look to Jesus always. If we can be honest this morning, sometimes it is a struggle to look to Jesus. See, see, when we as believers begin to hate darkness, those who remain in darkness and did not comprehend us, and many of us can testify to that, many of our friends and our families as we begin to follow Jesus, did not quite comprehend our zealousness for the Lord. We see why in, in, in John chapter 3, he says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than light. Here's why. Because their works were evil. So when we forgive people that hate us, the world can't comprehend that. And when we put others before ourselves, the world can't comprehend that. And when we weep with those who weep, the world can't comprehend that. And when that woman leaves that boyfriend she's been living with for a Jesus she cannot see, the world can't comprehend that, saints. And when that young man no longer finds joy in pornography, the world can't comprehend that. And when ethnicity and social status no longer divides us, the world cannot comprehend that, church. So when we sing, turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. The world can't comprehend that. In him was life. And his life was the light of man. I don't know about you, but hallelujah, I've seen the light. Praise God for that. In verse 4, John states, in him was life. In the life was the light of men. When preacher goes on to say, he says that new life brings light and new life makes seeing possible. When death is replaced with life, darkness is replaced with light. In John 8, 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. 
Whoever follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. That's what we're talking about, the light of life, preacher goes on to say. The light that comes with new life. When you receive Jesus, you receive life. And when you receive life, you receive light. I'm going to say that again. I know I sounded like a poet on that last line there. I'm going to run it back. When you receive Jesus, you receive life. And when you receive life, you receive light. Light shines in the darkness. Look at the rest of the verse. The light shines in the darkness. Remember, darkness is the opposite of what Jesus is. He is goodness, righteousness, love, truth, life, and light. And darkness, well, darkness is sin, evil, destruction, selfishness, and death. And I'm so glad, church, that the light shines in the darkness. When John says the light shines in the darkness, this eternal God, creator of everything, became flesh. The reason I believe John is talking about the incarnation of Jesus is because of John 1, 9 through 10. He says right here, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was, not made, th- and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. When the light Jesus came into the world, he came into a mess, church. Jesus didn't come into a cute situation. He didn't come into a well-packaged situation. He didn't come into a situation that had it all together. Instead, Jesus came into a mess-up situation. Jesus came into man's mess. He, He came into our hate. The world hated light. We hated what was true, good, and righteous. By nature, we hated it. All of us. If we can get on ground level this morning, if we could be honest this morning, if we can be real this morning, if we could be open this morning, if we can relate to one another for a moment here. When we are not liked, when we are hated, when we are looked down upon, when, when, when people make it clear to us that they don't like us, I don't go to your birthday party. We're not celebrating none of this. I don't go to your baby shower. If we can be honest, we avoid hostile situations. By nature, we avoid it. This is monumental that the Son of God steps into a situation, into a world that does not like him at all. This is not small. Jesus, in great love, enters into an environment where his very being was hated and unwelcome. He steps into a world that despised him. The Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. And we ought to weep this morning because of this. Because not only did he enter into the world's mess, But he entered into Dexter Harris' mess. I was jacked up. I was messed up. I was doing my own thing. I didn't like the light. It was convicting me. It was exposing me for the wretch that I was. However, one day the light shined in my heart. 
And one day the light felt like freedom. And one day the light felt like truth. And one day my eyes were open. And one day Jesus wasn't boring anymore. And one day Jesus became my joy. If it had not been for the light shining in the darkness, all of us would be in our mess still. If it wasn't for the light. can never stop singing his praises. He's been so good to us. It's all because the light decided to shine in the darkness. When I was writing uh, this sermon, this song came to my mind, and I felt that it really captured what the verse was trying to convey. I once was lost in darkest nights, yet thought I knew the way. The sin that promised joy in life had led me to the grave. I had no hope that you would own a rebel to your will. And if you had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. But as I ran my hellbound race, indifferent to the cost, you looked upon my helpless state and led me to the cross. And I beheld God's love displayed. You suffered in my place. You bore the wrath reserved for me. And now all I know is grace. Jesus bore the weight of the world on his shoulders. Jesus became like you and I so that we might have life. It's just not breathtaking. That the almighty creator of heaven and earth, the one whose name is to be hallowed, the the holy one becomes flesh and bones. It's just not astonishing, church. If you've been around Bethel long enough, you know that I work with urban teens. When you work with 60 to 80 urban teens and you see them come out of darkness into light, you're reminded that the light shines in the darkness. When a young man comes to you and says, can we not only study the Bible one night a week, but twice a week, light has shined in the darkness. You're reminded the light has shined in the darkness when a thief hanging on the cross puts his trust in Christ. The light has shined in the darkness. And when that cheating husband hears the gospel and his heart is filled with brokenness and repentance, the light has shined in the darkness. And this is what it looks like for Jesus to shine in the darkness. Our value system is turned upside down. Our enjoyments and leisures and goals and ambitions are rearranged, rearranged in such a way that Jesus is sitting on the throne where he belongs on our hearts. Jesus wrapped in flesh entered into time to rescue people from their darkness. D.A. Carson articulates it this way. John is largely interested in the light, in life, as they relate to salvation. The light is the revelation which people may receive in active faith and be saved. And the life is either resurrection life or spiritual life. That is its foretaste. Bringing us to another point, the triumphant Christ. I want you to kind of lean in with me here on this one because John points out something peculiar here in the last part of our verse. He says the light shines in the darkness 
and the darkness has not overcome it. He points out something different about this particular light. This light isn't any ordinary light. It's, it's different than the light you buy at your local Menard store. This, this light isn't likened to the light you get from a campfire. This light did not have a limited energy source with an expected expiration date. This, this light has life, eternal life. This light doesn't go out. When a light bulb goes out, the darkness overcomes the room. However, John says, there is a light that darkness can't overcome. And this light is Jesus himself. Why? In the beginning, I pointed out he was eternal. I pointed out he was self-existent. If the light is the life and the life is eternal, which means the light didn't have a beginning, you can be assured that it will not have an end. The light can't be overcome because God can't be overcome. There is nothing greater than God, church. But that does not mean that the darkness does not try to overcome the light. That does not mean that the darkness does not give its best effort to overcome the light. That does not mean that the darkness does not challenge the light. Indeed, it does. The world hates the light so much they plotted to kill him. Let's pause here for a minute. Human beings are so full of darkness. We would kill the very essence of love, truth, and righteousness. Before we were saved, today, prior to our salvation, if we were to be honest, we wouldn't be called dead worshiping Jesus, let alone loving our neighbor as ourselves. Listen, the light shines in the darkness, and we try to put it out. We try to get rid of it. It is interesting, as you read the Gospel of John, the brighter Jesus became, the darker their hearts were. This is a paradox we see all through the Gospel of John. Jesus is becoming brighter, and some of their hearts are becoming darker. May that not be us this morning. You got to understand what was happening in Jerusalem. Jesus is getting brighter, and the Pharisees, they begin to think to themselves. The Sadducees, they begin to think to themselves. People of the town begin to think to themselves. They begin to huddle up. They begin to get together and say, we have to get rid of this light. And they reason in such a way that they said, hey, if we pull out the life, we can get rid of the light. And so this is what they did. It got so dark, they decided to crucify him. We see this in John 19, 6 through 7. It said, when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and crucify him. For I find no guilt in him. And the Jews answered him, we have a law. And according to the law, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. And if you know your Bibles well this morning, you know that they succeeded in killing Jesus. And it seems as if things were back to normal. But Sunday was coming. Things seemed to have darkened up some in Jerusalem. But Sunday was coming. The devil thought that he had won and they thought that their plans had worked. But Sunday was coming. 
In church, it seems as if darkness had won the battle and, and, and his enemies were rejoicing and the disciples went back to life as they know it. But Sunday was coming and they didn't know he was God, church. They didn't know he was the resurrection. They didn't know that he had all power in his hands. They didn't know Jesus wasn't any ordinary light. They didn't know he was more potent than death and more powerful than sins. Brothers and sisters, they even gave him a proper burial. The Bible says they at night with a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 70 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloth with the spices as the burial customs of the Jews. And so they buried Jesus and they took the boulder and they rolled it over the tomb and they said, finally, the light is gone. And they began to eat and drink and be merry like, like life was normal. But how many of you know that all of a sudden Sunday came around and the light that they thought they had put out was shining again. The light that they thought they had put out had, been, had put them to open shame. Jesus was shining again. Darkness has not overcome him. There is nothing impossible for God. There is no power strong enough, no grave deep enough, and no darkness that he cannot penetrate, including death. Amen. See, church, what they failed to realize is his death was the means to reconciliation to God. What they did not reason when they killed him is that killing Jesus meant reconciliation for all of us. You see, reconciliation meant life. So consequently, there was life, then light, and all of these little lights start showing up. They thought they killed the light. And he rose from the dead, and all of a sudden, all these little lights start showing up. They start showing up in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, in Crown Point, in Hobart, in Gary, and all throughout Northwest Indiana, and all over this world, lights were everywhere. And we call those little lights the church, the family of God. They brought themselves a bigger problem. The Bible says in Ephesians 5, 8, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. God has transferred us out of darkness. And not only out of darkness, but he has made us light in light. That is what happened to you, Christian. You are once dark, not anymore. You are full of light. Then the question becomes, church, how do we respond to such amazing truth? How do we respond to a triumphant Christ that has overcome the world? We respond like he did to a dark world, right? Jesus entered our pain, our mess. He loved us. Jesus came and he ate with sinners. Jesus did life with them. He sought out those who were lost. He was a light shining in the darkness. Jesus calls his church to be little lights all throughout the world. We are to go and mirror Christ. We are simply to be like Christmas tree lights. You say, Dexter, what do you mean Christmas tree lights? When you pull Christmas tree lights out of the box, they have no light. But when you connect them to the power 
those little lights begin to shine. And here's the beautiful part. It's not only is that Christmas tree light, Christmas tree lights connected to the source, but we're connected to one another. And here's the beautiful part about Christmas tree lights is that there's always an outlet for more image bearers to be connected. So more Christmas tree lights and more Christmas tree light is what the Lord is doing. Saving and making more light. There is only one way they get connected. We preach this message, the gospel. God sends his son into the dark world. Really God, really man, full of life, radiant in divine light, lives a perfect life, fulfills the whole law, dies in the place of sinners as ordained by the Father, absorbs all the wrath of God for all those who believe in him, forgives all their sin, takes away all their guilt, rose from the dead, triumphant over death, hell and Satan and sins and rules with infinite power on high, will come again, give eternal life and raise from the dead all those who trust in him. That's the gospel, church. There is room at the cross for all of us. And oh, that the light would shine in the darkness this morning. Oh, that he would shine in your darkness this morning. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so we say, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. I'll let it shine in South Lake Mall. I'll let it shine in Crown Point. I'll let it shine in Hobart. I'll let it shine in Gary. I'll let it shine. Shine, shine, saints. In him was life. And the life was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it.